Hello, my friends. In the latest episode of Tea with Steve, you're going to get more knowledge around digital marketing, personal brand, being real, authentic, emotion to build your business and your brand, then you will know what to do with. You have got the pleasure of hanging out with myself and Chris Cubby, uh, agency owner and marketing guru from Cub & Co. It's literally like hanging out with your best mate. Welcome to the Tea with Steve podcast with me, your host, Stephen Thompson. This is the show dedicated to helping you find your heart brand, your purposeful and profitable personal brand. I believe that everyone has a heart brand. It's their authentic self to drive growth in themselves and those around them, which has a positive impact in our world. We are in a who era. The who is being unapologetically you, and that is your heart brand. So join me in impacting one billion lives. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tea with Steve. I have um, someone who I admire very, very much um, in my industry with me today. It is Chris Cubby from Cubby & Co. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself and say hello to everybody? Hello, everybody. Hello, the <laughs> interwebs. How's everybody doing? My name is Chris Cubberness. My friends call me Cubby. And yeah, like Steve said, I, uh, I'm from Cub & Co. We're an agency based in Copenhagen. Uh, yeah, what else to say? You know, I spend a lot of time social media, looking at what other people are doing. Uh, and we got connected, I think, man, almost four or five years ago now, yeah. right, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. it's been a long, long uh, relationship, a long-lasting relationship, you and I, which uh, is nice. It is. It's, it's – <laughs> Are you, dare I use the word lovely? It's really nice yes. because, and I'm going to, I know you, you might not want me to do this, but you have to tell me if I don't or you do or whatever the word is, but I must give a public apology because I'm very right. grateful because I'm grateful to have you here for a second time because, because oh, yes. my team know, and they know how disappointed I was that the fact that we recorded a really, an, a, a cracking episode at the end of November, 2019. And we went to edit it and it was corrupted and then the file wouldn't open and then it disappeared. And I'm just like, what on earth is going on? Um, it's, so it's Chinese, <laughs> they, hacked, they hacked you, bro. <laughs> no, in my luck, probably they're, they're trying to get, they're trying to get to me. And the only way they could get to me is through you. They used the weakest link. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. It was like, we don't, oh. there was some secret information on that podcast. We can just say that, you know, it was, yeah. it was, it was total, fire it was total you know chock full of value it couldn't go out 100 percent. it was it was it was too far advanced for everybody's ears yeah yeah that's right we'll just start with that story yeah absolutely i'm taking that one chris um i've been following your personal brand now like we say four or five years now Uh, we connected on snapchat we've connected on um instagram you know you've come over to the uk and unfortunately i missed you um you're doing some amazing things with your space and what i really want to talk about is your personal brand how you've built your personal brand what it means to you um the the highs the lows you know what it's like to produce content when you're in flow when you're not so that actually everybody listening to this can understand what it is from a guy with a a very strong personal brand and also a a business owner with just the natural struggles that we have so i'm yeah my neck in and let you talk sure (laughs) Hit me. What's the first question then? So tell tell everyone how you give a little bit of history about you. Yeah. And then and, and then really just share that the, I want to understand the journey, you know, that epiphany moment of when you realized that a personal brand was really, really key to what you've been ah, doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good lady. I mean, the history is pretty weird, actually, when I really think about it, because I don't think anybody has the same 
I mean, nobody has the same story, but they're, they're sort of red threads through most people's story. Mine's yeah. a bit strange because I started out at the age of 12, really being into art and design and drawing. And, and I was really into comic books and I, I love drawing comic books. I love drawing. I loved actually, you know, my parents must've thought I was super weird, but I used to, you know, critique advertisements. Like an ad would come on TV, a television ad or a magazine or whatever. And I would be like, oh, that's, you know, maybe it should have been this or that. And they must've been like, what, what is wrong with this kid? <laughs> so, so I was really into advertising actually at the age of 12. And so I begged my parents for this book called like a hundred jobs in advertising. I think it still exists. And, uh, and I ordered it or no, I didn't even, yeah, I think even couldn't even order it back then. Cause I was, it was maybe 1993, I think. So maybe there was some online ordering, but I don't know how they got their hands on it. Maybe they had a Barnes and Noble or something like that, but they got their hands on this book. They gave it to me and I read it cover to cover and I, you know, read about, you know, uh, you know, account executives and account planning and, and art direction and, and all these sort of different roles within advertising. And I was hooked. I was like, okay, I want to work in advertising. So my, uh, you know, a couple of years flash forward, I got a internship at a small ad agency in my hometown. And, you know, by small, it was like, I think it was three or four people. At the time, they did a lot of print ads, right? Because it was the, you know, it was the early to mid '90s, and yeah. they did signage, billboards. They did like, you know, the standard, traditional, above the line stuff, right? And I started just sweeping floors, man. I would just go there after school every day, sweep floors, get coffee, just being around, uh, just hanging out. Um, the the <laughs> I remember the business owner very well. His name was Colin. His name was Glenn Cullen, but it was Colin Glenn Advertising. He, like, switched his names around. I don't know okay. why. But uh, it was Colin Glenn Advertising, and and he was the, the you know, a really sweet man, and he, and he, you know, he had a standard sort of early 90s mustache, very Tom Selleck. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was he was such a great guy, but, he, you know, he really took me on and, and showed me the ropes, and then I was cleaning up graphic files and, and then it was about this time that, you know, the World Wide Web was really hitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It came on and, and I started to learn HTML and started, you know, if everyone, anybody remembers front page, uh, you know, from Microsoft, that was like an HTML editor that came out. I got my hands on a pirated copy of, of front page <laughs> and uh, I think it was probably free, actually. I think they were trying to hawk some, some you know, some new products, but I got my hands on one. And started learning how to code websites. So I got into digital media at the age of, I think it was 15 or something at that time. And started building websites and making GIFs. Because, you know, there was a lot of, back in that day, if you wanted to sort of have anything animated on uh, in, in, a, in a computer screen on the internet, it had to be, it had to be a GIF. So, and now GIFs are huge, right? But yeah. yeah, so I just started doing that, and then uh, you know, build websites for anybody and their dog that would that would let me buy one or build one for them. So I built websites for my friend's DJ business, and built some for you know a, a clinic that I was an audiological clinic that I was working in, and anybody and everybody that wanted a website, I was helping them with. And then that transitioned into you know email marketing and uh, you know search engine marketing and SEO and all the things that came with you know, early to mid nineties, late nineties, digital marketing. And then I took a degree in communications, obviously the natural step. Actually, I started in, in marketing. 
I hated marketing. I went to my first month in the, because when I went to university, the marketing side was actually in the business school and I hated it, which is funny because I'm a business owner today and I'm hardcore into business. But when I first got into business school, I was like, this shit is not for me at all. Everyone was wearing suits and a tie (laughs) and they're like 18 year olds. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, really? This ain't a bar mitzvah. Like, come on, (laughs) (laughs) like get the suit off. And so I didn't like it at all. I felt everyone was stuck up and it wasn't, it wasn't for me. And so I switched over to communications. I did a, a degree in communications. And then from there I moved to, I was in Calgary, Canada, shout out to anybody who knows Calgary uh, at that time. And then I got a job in Toronto. I, I moved to Toronto, started working actually for a venture capital fund doing turnarounds. So it's kind of a weird jump, but basically you know, that venture capital would firm would buy up companies and I would help them rebrand them, rebrand them, do new websites, do new things. Um, and actually at that time, they, they actually bought a social network. They bought a, a dating site. Okay. And so this is my first foray into, into social media. Um, they bought a dating site that they eventually needed some, some help with restructuring, returning around, remarketing. Um, so I helped them with that help them do some deals with uh, universal pictures and, and put that together, did some graphics, some marketing around that. Um, yeah. So that was kind of like a nice, a nice uh, jump into social media. And from there, after the VC, I moved to Denmark. My wife, uh, who wasn't my wife at the time, she was just my girlfriend, got a job here in Denmark uh, where I am now in Copenhagen. She said, let's go. I said, let's do it. And um, we ended up here and I worked for agencies for a bit and then I worked client side for a bit. And then in 2016, I started my own agency. I said, I could do this better than the rest of the agencies that I've seen. So I decided to open up my own social media agency and that was four years ago. And now we're 21 people, about to be 23. We just hired two new people. And yeah, we're growing. We're doing great work. I'm super proud of everything, and I'm running the business. Wow, what a story! <laughs> yeah, you're like, wow, oh my god. Because I'm, I'm sat, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm sat here, and I'm like, because although I might have fluffed the video and the audio up from last time, I've still got all my show notes, and I'm like, wow, that did happen. Oh yeah, that did happen. Oh look at this, and I'm, and I'm sat here getting excited. I'm like, come on, yeah. tell us the next bit. <laughs> oh, you know what's coming, right? I know what's coming. So you came, you originally um, from Calgary in in Canada. Yeah. And because, and I've got to throw it in here because we did talk last time about the the Hart family and my love of wrestling. Right. The Hart <laughs> and, family. I, I forgot that we talked about them. Yeah. yeah. They're uh they're like royalty in Cal- in Calgary. They are well known. They started uh, his dad started Stampede Wrestling, right? Which okay. was a big wrestling group within uh within calgary and yeah all the hart brothers they were big time wrestlers and their dad i forget maybe it's Stu hart i think i, I think actually remember. his name is Stuart hart um yeah he had a school and he taught kids and and he was yeah he was just a you know well-respected member of the community there and isn't it interesting when you you mentioned that about the school and that he, he literally he found something he fell in love with and just went and did it yeah yeah and and very passionate and also very, um, yeah, you could say just very straight shooter kind of guy and, and yeah, very well loved in the community. So, yeah. 
We and did you have them. and were you you were in university in Canada? Yeah, in Calgary, actually. I yeah. went to the University of Calgary. And uh, you hated marketing. I hated well, I hated <laughs> the business school marketing yeah. side. The thing too is like if anybody's done a marketing degree, a lot of it is um what I would call maybe data or business marketing in a sense like it's market research, it's you know, it's the four P's product placement, promotion and Oh, I forget the fourth. That's how that's how that's how much we use that theory nowadays, which we don't. Yeah. But it's you know, it's I mean, there's a lot of I would say non-creative marketing. Yes. And that's why I went to communications because I really like the creative angle of marketing. I like the, you know, for lack of a better term, like the psychology and the and the messaging and the you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What emotions come out of it? How to, how to nudge people, how to influence people. Um, I like that side, but the marketing at business school was not that it was statistical analysis and market research and, and, and sort of a a more business marketing side. I get it. I mean, I did, I did business studies here and when I so when I was in school, um, we did a there was a business studies course and it looked really cool. They got to go and set up their own business for two or three weeks. And we had there was like a big open day and all the kids in business school, um, they were running their own projects. And I remember my friend's brother, he he was designing T-shirts. He was doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle T-shirts at the time and different cartoons and stuff. And I was a huge Turtles fan when I was about 14. So yeah. and he did one specific for me. And he literally and I was like, oh, I was in love with it. I think I paid 10 pounds pounds for it um, and this was back in 1991 92 um, so it's like all the money I had <laughs> yes. and I was like I'm gonna do that when I get into you know the years what my my last two years of high school and um, unfortunately it wasn't available I then did business when I moved away because I moved from the northwest of England down to the east of England and I did a level business studies here and oh my god it was completely different yeah. and we used to have um two days of business a level a week one was accounts one was business and i was i was surfing at the time uh, on the east coast we have some great surf and it got to the point when, when when the weather was bad and the surf was good me and about half a dozen of the lads would sort of sneak out of our business studies lesson because it was so dull it was usually accounts with mr harris and then we'd be okay. on the beach <laughs> and <laughs> yeah and it wasn't sexy. It wasn't Instagram sexy. It was freezing. It was cold. It was wet and windy. But the surf was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny at that age, you just have a thicker skin for tolerance for, for bad environment or bad like conditions. You're just like, yeah, no worries. We'll just do it. Right. Like, cause now I'm a wuss. <laughs> yeah. Ex- me too, man. Trust me. Like uh, my son, he plays football and, and uh, oftentimes he's out on the pitch and it's literally pouring rain. And I'm like, as an adult, if we if I was in a club with some some mates and it started raining, we'd be like, "All right, pack it up, we're going, yep. <laughs> we're leaving." <laughs> like, forget this. I'm not gonna catch a cold. I can't. I won't be able to take care of the kids all week, and my work <laughs> will suck, right? So it's yep. like, it's a level of, uh, you know, wussitude that we've developed over the years. So you jumped so, over to Denmark with your good yeah, lady. And, that's right. And then you started working with agencies and. So, what what gave you the bug for it what was you know you said you could do better what was the what was the what was the moment the light bulb moment 
I think, I think the light bulb moment was when you work when you've worked both client side and agency side, you get to see both sides of the table and say like, okay, what is the client experience of an agency, and what is an agency experience of a client, and and that relationship is interesting because I think that's where I thought that we could do it better was more in the the relationship and then also the the level of delivery and the and the keeping of the promises. I saw working on both sides that okay, there was a lot of um, you know, bad behavior, you know, for lack of a better term, okay. meaning that an agency would not deliver on time or not deliver this certain thing or didn't really understand what the client was looking for, or the client wasn't very good at briefing or, or the client, um, you know, had too many changes or, you know, like all the things that we're guilty of on both sides, cause nobody's innocent. And I thought, okay, I've seen both sides. I understand that. How do I solve that, those issues? How do I make it better for clients to work with us? How do I make clients better to work with us? You know, because it's both sides. And so I really thought, okay, I could do this better. And I, I still think that we do. I think we've got a we've got a process. We've got an attitude. We've got a mindset that is, I would say, more conducive to building relationships to delivering for the client the things that they need and also i would say we're very good at scaling stuff like i think one of the big challenges that a lot of agencies and clients face is like instead of just building one-off campaigns and and sort of you know shoot from the hip content we're very good at looking at the whole picture and saying okay how do we milk the hell out of this content how do we turn this blog post into a podcast into a giphy into a video series into a you know what i mean it, it doesn't start necessarily with blog posts it also starts with maybe it starts from the podcast or it starts from the video or it starts yeah. from right so we we look at those things and understand that the client pain is that they want content they want it in an ecosystem they want it in a in a quick way and they also want it to fit to their strategy and their brand and 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 it has to drive awareness and it has to create sales and it has like it has to tick so many boxes and we try to do our best to tick those boxes and i think we do a good job so if you've got a typical client listening to this podcast now and they're like i like what this man's saying would you look at the Okay, that's probably, I'm going to throw you a low ball or that would be unfair because I was going to say, would you look at the agency brand or a personal brand or the business brand? But let's, 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 uh, look, at a, let's look at a personal brand because that's yeah. what the podcast is about. It, yeah, let's from go back a, to that. So let's look at a, a personal brand. What, if someone's listening, go, you know, I need, to, I need to invest in my personal brand. Right. What would you do? Where's your starting what point? What would I do? I mean, the, the thing is, is like a personal brand is no different than a... Um, a, a sort of a big brand or, or okay. a corporate brand in the sense that it's a expression of who you are, right? Like, and that's always like what a brand is also from a corporate side is an expression of who is this company? What are they about? Like, what is their value to the world and what is their virtues or their values, I would say, or beliefs, right? So I think that's also what I would look at when, when you have a personal brand it's, it's a bit harder, though, because I think what is very hard to figure out on a personal level is who am I, what am I about, and why am I doing things that I do? Those questions are super philosophical, 
and super difficult to understand about yourself. It's even harder for companies to figure it out. So the starting point is is weird for me because I never did those things because I believe that those philosophical questions were too hard to answer, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Right? Like, it's very hard to say, who am I? Like, only, I think there's a rare breed of person that knows that by the time that they're 30 or even 40. Like, and it's even rarer to know that at 20. Mm. So if you're listening out there and you have a, you're worried about your personal brand, you're like, but I want to express my, like, and you're getting stuck on the why or the who am I sort of discussions, you don't have to take those up right now. What you have to do is sort of put one foot in front of the other and say, I'm going to figure this out as I go. Yep. But recognize that I don't have all the answers. And that's how I started my personal brand is that I, I had a sense of not necessarily who am I, but I know what I do and I yep. do marketing and I do marketing very well. So I'm just going to start it in that. So what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to give people marketing tips on social media. And that's a simple one to do, right? Like I didn't have to go through some brand analysis of who am I and, you know, what are my deepest thoughts and why do I actually want to do this? I didn't have to have a 10-year goal or a five-year goal. I just had to say, listen, I know there's a bunch of people out there in the world that need my help. They have, you know, marketing, you know, businesses themselves, agencies. They are marketers themselves. They have personal brands, whatever it is. And they could use my knowledge in, in all these aspects. So I just literally started putting out content. And that's kind of what I do today. Like, just put out stuff that helps people. It's it's almost uncanny that you say that. Because when I started Big Daddy, and it, you know we're coming up for seven years in November. And I, at the time, so literally around this time, seven years ago, I was working in a job that I really, really enjoyed. I'd, take, I'd left the police. I'd found something after about three and a half years of leaving the police working something that i enjoyed and i was made redundant it was then six weeks before my daughter was due to be born um and then what happened was um i got myself a job at a local radio station uh, because the they were looking for sales managers and i said like, well i've done this before i need income i can do this find my feet get some money in, and then i can find out what i'm actually going to do in my life and what happened was i needed a way basically to sell advertising space i was selling radio space and it was reasonably expensive and the, the the leads that or the you know the, the database i had was was horrendous so what i did was i was communicating i, I needed to look at a way to communicate with people where the other people in my radio station um weren't doing and no one was doing social media i mean the radio station were doing social media absolutely appallingly yeah. so I was like, okay, maybe I've got something here. And I had a Twitter account. So I just started chatting with people on Twitter. I changed my profile picture. I changed my header picture to a picture of me and my daughter in the radio station. Um, I then started having conversations with people. I then connected with those businesses. I connected with the business owners over on LinkedIn. Um, and I just jo started to join the dots up. And then I started to build a profile for myself and people were following me and saw that I was in every conversation in my local area. And then businesses invited me in and said, not because they wanted to buy advertising from me, they wanted to see what I was doing. And like right. you, making the content, I was just giving my information away for free, having conversations, built up that, you know, the, the, uh, the typical no like and trust within the yep. industry. And they couldn't afford radio. But what I found was I was giving them the information to build their profile so that I could get them to a point of affording radio. 
But the guy who was my chief marketing officer, he said to me, I want you to stop doing what you're doing because you can't measure the return on investment for what you're doing. And I sat down, my boss, my line manager, Maggie, who was still a very good friend of mine to this day, she just said to me, carry on doing what you're doing because you have hit every sales target since you've been here. Yeah. And I went, and I will. But isn't and that the measurement then? Like That's the measurement. Measure, but like... he was, he just couldn't get it. He was, he was yeah. very jealous of what I was doing um, because then alongside the, the day job, um, a, a guy approached me to coach me. Um, cut a long story short, I took that on and, um, and within eight months, I'd left the radio station and set up my own agency. And right. all of those people that I'd helped were my clients. Right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I think that you see this story a lot. It's like, yeah. and I think that's that's weird. I mean, the ROI, the, the return on investment is a tough one for me because what I usually say to clients and to people who say, hey, but how do we measure return on investment? Or we don't think this is giving good enough return on investment. I always say to them, well, what is currently giving you a great return on investment? Yeah. Can you show me what those metrics look like so that I can benchmark it? Guess what? Can they've you guess what nothing. happens when I say that? Yeah, they've got nothing. They have nothing to say because they're not measuring the return on investment anywhere else. Yeah. They want to poke holes in, in this other strategy because it's new and it's different and they're not used to it. But the truth of this matter is like nobody's really looking at the return on investment of other stuff. Yep. So, like, why put an unfair judgment on something else if you're not doing that on the current thing? So, most of the time, I'm met with a, well, I actually don't know those numbers. Well, then how do we have a benchmark to say this is bad ROI and that's good ROI? Yeah. Like, you're continuing spending money in this direction and not spending money in this direction because you think the ROI is better over here, but you have no benchmarks. So, like, what, what are we actually talking about here? And that usually turns the conversation to yeah yeah you're right actually we're not really measuring that over there and then we have a better discussion about what does it mean to actually create roi and if mm. you can actually actually measure roi and that's a really tr tricky subject within marketing and social media isn't it and you know and everyone thinks that roi is based on sales and and i'm one of the first people to say i don't think it is because actually my business has grown more and more with brand and brand awareness than it has ever with me putting sales messages out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the hard thing. It's like, we kind of forgot about, we've kind of forgot about that. The fact that marketing is, is largely about awareness or, or largely about brand and, and really came down. Digital has really came down into a, you know, one-to-one -one sort of measurement is like, okay, I put this much money in, I get this much money out. And, the truth of the matter is, is that's insanely hard to measure. You know, a Nike ad that they run 20 years ago that me and you both saw, like, does that influence our purchase decisions today? Maybe, maybe yep. not. Like, how can you say, how could you make that judgment call? Like, you can't. Like, seeing Michael Jordan or Kobe, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, like, yeah. seeing him play in Nikes, hasn't that increased the brand awareness? Hasn't that increased the sales? But I can't say for sure. Like, I have no idea. So it's really difficult, I think, for, for marketers who are who are hardcore into performance marketing, as we call it, saying that, OK, this is equaling this at the end of the day, because you can't see what actually influenced marketing or the sorry, the the, um, the purchases. You can't see that. I have a methodology called your heart brand and you'll have heard me on social 
shout about it and talk about it and be whisper about it and go about it in different ways now for a personal brand for me i think it should become from the essence of the person who is sharing the message the story um and i'm having conversations at the moment with a, a you know an amazing lady in brand and i and i, I totally agree and I'm going to throw this out there because she talks about having the brand, the heart brand or the purpose led brand being filtered from the top down. So we touched on personal brand earlier. How is how or does that or, or even does it at all work in your agency? Is, do oh, you yeah, let it, yeah, 100 percent. Mike. We see like my personal brand drives yep. a lot of conversations with uh, potential clients. Good, because that's my next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely been an entrance into uh, into the personal brand or into the agency, right? Like people see me speak, or mm. they see me on social, um, and you know, I'm I'm usually spouting some sort of thought leadership in, you know, brand should do this, brand should do that. Watch out for this. Here's these tips. Here's that tips, and yeah, it translates into. For example, we had a meeting a couple of days ago with a with a new uh, potential client that we're doing um, a proposal for it. And, you know, it was quite apparent, like we started talking about their challenges and stuff and they're like, yeah, we see you doing this on social and you're so present there and that's amazing. And like, we want the same for us, yep. but just in a different way, like for our own brand. And I'm like, there you go. That's it. Like that's, that's all I need to know that I should continue what I'm doing. Like if a client is bringing it up in a meeting, um, what you're doing and, and how that's affecting their mentality towards the project. Yep. That's all you need for a return on investment because you know that that you're top of mind and that they've thought about you and that's why you're sitting in that room. So yeah, I think it totally has. So how do people do it in your opinion? What would you be your process? Is it one thing, many things? What you know, how would you break it down to build that no, personal brand? Yeah, what I would do is is first um like I said, first, like get started. What value can you bring, right? So, if for example, if you're a, you know, and it's different for everybody. It can value can also be entertainment. Like value can also be uh, many things. It can be knowledge. It can also be connections. It can also be, um, uh, you know, yeah, that's it. That's all I got <laughs> on my list right now. I'm sure there's others, but you know, it's it's basically like what can I provide, and then start putting that out on social. But then the other part of it is you have to have two sort of actions. One is content. Um, the other is, is community. And the other is conversations, right? So I tell people I have a simple formula. It's content that creates conversations, that builds community, equals cash. So everyone write this down. If you're listening to the podcast, content that creates conversations, that builds community, equals cash. So if you want to do this, what you do is you put out content that creates conversations. If it doesn't create conversations, if it doesn't press a little bit, if it doesn't open up a little bit of a Pandora's box or, or at least get people to start thinking about something, it won't create conversation. So that's a, that's a no-go. So you have to create content that creates conversations. Once you start creating conversations, you've got to talk back. You've got to engage. You've got to be there. You've got to be present, right? Liking, yep. sharing, commenting. That builds community. Once you've built that community, then you can convert that to cash in the future through some monetization method, either through having an agency, selling products, giving, you know, you know, selling services, whatever, whatever those things are. But you have to have these things. And the more content you create that creates conversations 
the more conversations you have creates more community the more community you have the more chance you have at sales and in all fairness that has actually worked for you because if we put it in the process uh, if we talk that through you put out content i saw your content we've had conversations i'm now yeah. part of your community um and that will lead to more brand awareness sales because yes. you're now on the podcast i've yes. shared your content i've, yes. I've actually I, I put you in a, a a grid nine post with eight other guys who right. who all you know who resonate with me so what you're saying that's actually makes sense and there's a guy on the end of this re, you know this radio this podcast who's actually saying do you know what i've seen you do all of this i've seen you do it um and i'm seeing your agency grow you know month on month year on year and we're having conversations about it and what i like about it is the fact that i don't appear to have seen you change from the first day we spoke to now or you, change my brand my no change you, you as a person you as the personal no. brand you're still chris yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah I, but that's i think that's the point like i think like if you're not concerned about also like putting a brand on if you're just like concerned about what value you bring at the end of the day like your personality doesn't change. I mean, I might change opinions for sure. Like, uh, you know, I've used to have an opinion about, you know, oh, Snapchat was not for, you know, you know, millennials or Snapchat was only good for this. Or I might have opinion about marketing one day that I completely changed the next day. But that's not opinions are not brand. Per, per, opinions are not personality. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I'm soaking it up. I'm soaking you up. Chris. No, I know you are. I just feel like I'm rambling a little bit. No, you're not. <laughs> like you're not I at all. Do. Not at all. So, content community. Sorry, content conversation community equals cash. So yes. I'm coming to you. I am right. Okay, Chris. So I want you to help me with my personal brand. Right. Um, I think I'm okay on video. I've just started a podcast. Yeah, you're doing great. What would you say I or someone like me should do next? Um, I think what you need to do is look at all of the channels that are leading into your brand, right? So if you look at all the channels that could bring people in, there's search, there's podcasting, there's YouTube, there's email marketing, there's um, referral networks, there's, uh, there's TikTok, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's Snapchat. And, and looking and Twitter, like there's so many different channels. There's radio advertising. Like there's so many, like there's Giphy. There's so many channels into your brand. And what you have to do is they say, okay, how do I tackle each of these? Yeah. And does it make sense for me to tackle each, each of these? And how yeah. do I best do it? And so I think like those are the things that you should start looking at. And then looking at from a scaling content perspective, look at, okay, if I do this content this day here, can I do this content over here another day? Or how do I make this work for Instagram, even though it's a Twitter post? How do I make this work for Facebook? Or how do I make this work for Instagram stories? Like, it's really about sort of expanding that out and saying, okay, how do I do these? And the tough part, though, yeah, here's the kicker, okay? The tough part is not scaling content. Well, it is and it isn't. Like, it, it just takes manpower, basically. Um, the tough part is actually the conversations and community. I totally so, agree with you there. Yeah, totally. That's the tough part. 
It and is. That's, that's where I fail a lot because the problem is, is when you open up so many channels, there's yep. so many hours, there's only so many hours in a day. And I feel super guilty because I put out content on a lot of platforms. Um, but I don't have time to always go in and, and give a thoughtful and, and well, you know, well-meaning reply to those people who are taking their time out of their day to write you a message. And I feel like a, a dickhead because I can't, I just don't have enough hours in the day. But the truth of the matter is, it's like the community and the conversations are where the gold is, but it's hard to get that done. It is it's hard I, to get over. Yeah. You know I find, right? yeah, I, I find a lot of my clients have exactly the same conversation with me because what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll, you know, we'll have our strategy meetings and we'll decide on a plan and then, and what I'll usually do is I will start making content while I'm in that meeting. So we'll be videoing them. We'll be taking voice recordings. I then come away and make content from that to get a feel and understanding for their voice. And then when we start to implement the strategy and we start to put content out for them, they're like, oh, I can't keep up. And they yeah. can't they can't reply and I don't know what to say. And I, and so I come to a point now where we're planning. We have a content strategy, marketing strategy, and then we actually plan with them an engagement strategy. So because yeah. what I find a lot of people are doing and it is they go on to someone will leave a comment on Instagram. They'll go, thank you. And leave an emoji. I'm like, where's the conversation? You've just killed the conversation. They've left yeah. you a meaningful comment, left something that's, you know, they like your post for whatever reason it is, or they dislike your post, and then you're not talking to them. And I have right. a method that, and it's no secret, you know, it's out there in the in the world. Is I when I was in the police, I was trained in conversation and interviewing. So right. we when we use a, me- a method in, a method or style of who, what, why, where, when, and how, and you just ask open questions. And so it'd be, you know, love this post um, that you put out on Instagram or this, you know, the, the, the filter is fantastic on this. And, and I go in straight away and ask them a specific question about what do they like about the post or what brought them to my account and trying to have an open conversation to people. I think receiving that, though, is a little bit weird. But the people that do then start to talk, it's like, oh, he's interested because, you know, we see so many posts on Instagram and comments. And it's like, yeah, they're in some instagram pod and there's loads of you know yeah. oh love your post dude like yeah, yeah. okay um but i think yeah, there's you, tons you, of that like i get so many bot comments yeah and so many like forex exchange stuff i'm like <laughs> oh god please leave me alone do you know what i found is happening with me at the moment though instagram stories accounts are just being put up and then they're just putting an instagram story out and tagging me in it and I'm like, Ooh. yesterday I got one for women's underwear. I went, do you know what? Just not my type of post. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that might be a nice uh, nice surprise. No, but I think um, – I also think that's why a lot of stuff has moved to Instagram stories. We were just talking about this today with a client that um, we're seeing, like, massive growth in some of the accounts that we manage. Yeah. But not massive growth in feed no. uh, engagement. Where we're seeing the massive growth when they grow their accounts is in stories. Yes, which is interesting to me because I can see it immediately. We grow them by ten thousand followers, no extra engagement on the feed, but tons of extra views and engagement on the stories. And I'm like, yep. okay, this shows to me that maybe people are are sort of tired of the sort of antics that are going on in the feed and are like, stories isn't hacked. Stories, there's no problem. There's less. There's no bots. We're yep. going for stories. So I think, um, you know, if you're out there, I think we're seeing that and we're advising our clients to get their story strategy 
locked in really well and start doing less feed. And I think also if we're looking at the future, uh, LinkedIn tried to do stories actually with students a little while ago and didn't really take steam, but I bet you LinkedIn is going to have stories within 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a brand that's like B2B or really hardcore on Instagram or hardcore on uh, LinkedIn at the moment, get your story strategy worked out because when LinkedIn drops stories, you'll be way ahead of your, your uh, competitors and be able to start transitioning to LinkedIn story stuff. Why do you think, why do you think that is? Cause I say, and the reason I ask is, um people are you know they've got this thing about their feed it's got to look beautiful i mean i put the content out that yeah it looks nice but it, it, it's the right piece of content for for what i'm trying to do behind the scenes um but it, you know with instagram it's very much it's got to look beautiful it's got to look this it's got to look that and i'm like whereas for me you know i am i, I i'm stories every day i'm not really interested in feed you have to really grab my attention with your with something that comes through the feed whereas stories i'm interested to see the, the personal bit what's going on behind the scenes something like something i might not see in the feed people are voyeurs like at the end of the day i mean we really love I mean, that's why reality TV kicked off so well and it's like was like a fire um, because it, it gave us a chance to see into other people's lives. Right. Like and I think that's what social media typically is, is a voyeurism. And we want to see like we want to experience that. We, we actually want more human connection. And that's that drive. The drive towards human connection has always um, developed things. Right. Like that's why. You know, Tinder is created. That's why Facebook is created. That's why um, everything is is created in some ways to try to, you know, the car. Why was the car created? Well, so we could go from one place to another to see people. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, so the human connection thing is is really driven us to do a lot of things in this world, and I think that's why um, that's why I think stories, or at least like voyeurism, is a big part of that. We want to be connected to the person that we see. And the feed is not a connection. You don't feel like you're peering into them and talking to them. It's funny. Like when you do stories, you feel like you're in that person's life. The feed, you don't feel like you're in their life. You think that you're getting a, you're getting something else. You're getting like, oh, this is my advertisement for my life. Stories is this is, this is my life. Love it. I I love that. It's a really, really good explanation of it. So going back to your, your model, your, you know, your content, your conversation, your community, and then your cash, what's a a process typically that you would put in place to start off with for a personal brand? And then how would you capitalize on the, I suppose the voyeurism aspect that you've, you've mentioned? Yeah. I mean, I think like putting out content is first and then turning the conversations is, is second, like I said, and then, I think like as you get more into it, what you should do is then start figuring out um, where are your actual values and where can you like get those out. And I would say, you know, it sounds a little like cultism or something like that here, but, <laughs> but there was an interesting book and I forget what it was called. I think it was actually called Proverbs or something like that. And it was about, it was about, it was a marketing book or, or a business book or, or some sort of, branding book which was you know how do people actually like to get content or or get information or or get taught and it was really based around proverbs in the sense that people really like idioms or they like 
little phrases like, um, you know, eat your cake and have it too, or, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Or they like, uh, you know, the, the lion doesn't uh, concern itself with the opinions of sheep or whatever those things are. Yeah. These, these euphemisms, these metaphors, these proverbs that have carried us throughout life. And I would say, um, you know, if you look at a guy who's like massive in personal branding, Gary V, or you look like a Grant Cardone, you know, some of these characters are a little bit suspect, but you know, if you look at what they've done, one of the things that they've done really successfully is, is proverb themselves. If that's a word, they've really <laughs> taken it down to like, you know, what are my proverbs? Right. And he's like, Gary's is uh, hustle, you know, or, you know, all the phrases, you know, work to your, yeah. you know, you work to your eyes bleed or whatever the hell he talks about. And, and sorry, he's speaking in proverbs. He's like a religious figure in a sense that, you know, he he's just he's sort of spouting a, a sermon and we're you know as humans we love that stuff we, we eat it up we've eat it we've ate it up since the beginning of time right we 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 attract ourselves to leaders who have sound bites and things that sort of resonate deeply with us on a on a sort of proverbial level and then we follow that person and we take their advice and we so we look for things like that if you're not proverbial if you're not you know, speaking in these terms, it's very hard to connect with you, right? Because we want these sound bites of advice and trust and guidance that we can take and consume and move on with our daily lives. Um, and I know that sounds maybe a little bit uh, critical or, I don't know, a little bit jaded, but but that's that's how we operate. But that's um, So I would say like, yeah, from a personal brand standpoint, look at your Proverbs. What am I saying? How am I saying it that attributes to my values in a con, in a consumable way? See, from there, what you've just told me is that I, I actually can get away with producing less content because I've got a certain message which I can share. I can share it in a different way, but still stick with the type of proverbs. And actually, probably people may not be listening or reading all of this long form content I've got. And why don't I change this long form post into 20 pieces of content that are one liners for Instagram and, and pull a quote out of it. Yeah. Like keep both this is the funny thing is like, I wouldn't say don't make the long form. No, this is about scaling content, make the long form and distill it. Yes. And take what you can from it instead of making, and now you've got 30 shots. And if you look at like, I mean, everybody in personal brand for the next 20 years are going to talk about Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I don't want to avoid that conversation. I think, you know, if you look at what he's done, that's exactly what his team has done. Yes. He's operated in his life. He's done podcasts. He's had a video crew just videoing him daily. And his team is literally just distilling that into, into other parts so that he can scale his content and get his message out quicker. And that's that really for me, that's the core message that I think people should take away from this is, you know, it, a lot of people, uh, you know, clients I work with, people I coach, uh, people I even have conversations with, well, I've got this YouTube channel and they make one YouTube video and then wait till the following week to do their next YouTube video or they do one podcast episode and wait for the next week to do their following podcast episode. And even for people listening today, you know, we've launched the podcast is now live, even though iTunes are sort of drip feeding the, the first few episodes out. But 
the first episode was only a 30 minute episode of me taking clips from my first four guests i've had that trans i've literally had the entire audio transcribed i'm yep. making we've got a blog post for it already we're stripping it for tweets and then we're taking quotes from it and then that will all start to funnel out and Fantastic. and that is think is people need to get into the mindset of you you should repurpose your content but in different ways that are right for each platform um and then get to what do you what just question though what is your thought on scheduling content rather than putting it out manually because i know plat some platforms don't mind it some platforms don't like it um it responds better if you upload it manually what are your thoughts the data is quite clear if you want the optimal success you have to post it manually yep yeah unfortunately i think it's something we've battled for years actually like because you know it's kind of shitty of these platforms to make that happen that way um but it is quite clear like when you post manually um it gets more attention because here's the thing you have to think about what does the platform want at the end of of the day what does facebook want facebook wants everybody on the platform they want users so what do they do then they reward users that are on the platform for being on the platform yeah so if you're not on the platform if you're posting through an api what is it going to do it's going to say oh we shouldn't we have to ignore this person because they're not on the platform and so it's been a very sneaky trick of them and i don't think a lot of people want to admit it in the industry but this is what's happening so uh, I always post manually for our clients. We can't, we simply can't. And it's annoying. Um, we could, but they would have to pay us way more and we would have yep. to be up at eight <laughs> o'clock at night because we also want the optimal time. So for a lot of brands, it's a trade-off of optimization and efficiency and, and cost versus success, right? And they've decided that, okay, we're going to lose a little bit of success for the um, for the gain of efficiency, and that's, you know, that's a lot of things in business, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you have to make that choice. Okay, we, we, uh, we don't go for, you know, the optimal success here. We go for efficiency or, you know, what's painless in some ways, right? So how would you support, um, so if you're, you know, if you're using a, um, you know, scheduling platform, would you yeah. mix it up? Would you put paid ads alongside it? What's, you know, for, for people that are listening and thinking, you know what, I want to get as much content out as I can. But yeah. there's no way I can sit on social for eight hours a day. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to go hard, hardcore, if we're talking about now the next level, right? So the first level is just like getting content out. Then the second level is scaling content, really distilling it into different parts and getting it out manually. Then I think the third part is is trying to schedule that out and get that into a flow and get more content out um, and, and sort of yeah keep up with the community management, which would be you know insane at this point. Um, and then the third part is like another, another level where this is how we operate for brands. We typically run everything as, as advertising first. So we run everything as testing, right? Cause Facebook is literally the greatest market research tool ever built. Yep. It's not a social media platform in my mind. It's the greatest market research tool ever. So within hours we can run content in multiple different iterations and put a hundred bucks behind it and know exactly which content is going to perform the best for certain audiences. So then we use that data and that information to run organic stuff, or we do dark posting where we, we publish the, the ad as a organic post and it'll post out as, as having all that engagement. 
right? So you know that, right? So when you, yep. <clears throat> excuse me. So when you run a, po- a dark post, yep. Um, then you can publish that dark post as organic content, and it retains all the likes and the comments and the engagement. Well, it looks, which looks better organically, right? It's like, oh, so now it's not. You're not the first person liking it. There's ten other people that have liked it. Yeah. Thirty or whatever. But what it is, it's the best method for actually understanding what content people like. Otherwise, you're just posting stuff organically and praying and saying, oh, I hope this works. Why not use Facebook? Put 25 bucks behind three different versions or four different versions and, and try to make some – to do some insights out of that. It's it's really good that you've touched on that because I can I know I can hear my listeners screaming in my ears Facebook ads I want to talk, I want to know about the how do you crack it and I just think there is so much data that Facebook owns on us when people say to me about Facebook ads I say have we got a week because there's a yeah. you know we yeah. there's so much to do but what's what's a good starting point for someone who's building their personal brand like you say you know but putting some dark posts out or you know obviously we want it to be built alongside a strategy. But what is what? What are your your top tips for for starting in with ads? You know, I'm not a paid media specialist. Um, it's funny, you know, as I've grown my business here, it's it's so interesting because when I was, you know, four years ago, I had my finger in every single pie. I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I was yep, like I on top of Facebook ads and content and YouTube and and I understood like I pretty much understood at an expert level everything. And what's funny is I've had to transition into being a, instead of being the expert on everything, I've transitioned to being the expert on Cub & Co, meaning yeah. like the expert on how does our company operate and where do I want to take it in the future and what is the vision for the the industry or the vision for, for us. Yeah. And it's and it's funny, you know, so like we were in a meeting today and, and the client was actually teaching me a little bit about Facebook ads, about a, an issue they're having. And I'm like, I haven't seen that issue at all. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I just ran something yesterday because I was poking around in a client's account and, and had to run a couple of ads. And, and, and they're like, ah, I'm pretty sure that function is not available now. And I'm like, you might be right. So then I'm like poking around in Facebook after that meeting to try to find it. And mm. sure enough, it's like, oh yeah, they discontinued that that uh that format or that whatever it was right so it's interesting that um so i can't really talk that much and i I know from a surface level how we run ads we like to use it as a testing platform yeah and run it but there's so many i mean the thing is is like it's such an untapped area because when you want to get into facebook ads it's very easy i don't think boosting content is a good idea i think it's better to go into the ads platform Run your audiences. If you don't have a Facebook pixel on your website, you're a dope. You should have that. <laughs> like a straight up, that's the easiest thing. Get your audiences. Understand who's on your website. And then what I would say is is think about content, not ads. So like if you want to look at a fundamental way of doing social media, it's like people are scared of advertising. Yes. They don't they they smell it before they've even scrolled it. Yep. Right. And if you and if you what you got to do is you got to think about how do I put out great content, but then run it as advertising. And that's where you're going to win. Right. So what we try to do is we try to go for that for our clients and say, okay, we're going to run this amazing tips video or store or like inspirational, whatever it is. And we're going to run that as an advertisement to the right audiences. We're going to retarget people who have been on your website. So we're going to inspire them. We're not going to, 
You know what I mean? Like the stupidest advertising that I ever saw was I was on a Lego website um, one day and I was looking at something for my son. My son loves Lego. I mean, yep. uh, I think most kids do. Um, and I was looking at it and then I got hit with a retargeting ad on Facebook, I think maybe 30 seconds later. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> and it's basically like a hardcore sell. Yep. And it really turned me off. I was like, fuck you lego i mean i love lego they're not a client i would love them to be a client they're such an incredible brand but at, at some point i was like really that's what you guys got one of the most creative brands on the face of the planet this is what you guys want to bring me come on what they should be doing is inspiring me to make that purchase meaning that why not show me a time lapse of somebody building it why yeah. not show me um, you know, all the extra things that I can do, what else I could, could potentially, you know, work with if I've got this, why not show me the, the, there's a Lego contest coming up somewhere in my city. Like, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, I get it. you know what I mean? It's about, it's, it's, and that's what we want as people. We don't want, Hey, buy this now. I mean, what we want in some cases we do, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think but it's not 30 seconds after I've just been on the website perusing it. Like it's, it's inspire me to make that purchase. Cause I'm going to make that purchase anyway, if you do that. Yeah. Right. Get you, get you emotionally, get me emotionally. Like, and that's where people like people don't make rational decisions, right? We make ir- irrational decisions daily. And I would have made that emotion. I probably would have purchased that thing if they would have hit me with that, because I would have been like, yeah, Lego. You got me. This is awesome. I really want to build this thing with my son. I'm going back to that website now and I'm buying it. But because they hit me with a, you know, buy it now, I was yes. like, ah, I don't really want that thing anymore. Right? They didn't give me that good feeling of like, oh, this is going to be epic. This was, uh, this is uh, just a, a wallet hit. You know? I totally, so, totally Not to ramble it. on again. No, I, no, I, I get it. I'm with yeah. you a hundred percent on there. I think, you know, I am typically, I'm an online, an online purchaser and I will buy something online every week, whether it's yeah. a repeat purchase or it's something that I had my eye on, but I'm also there stalking just like you. I'm going through Facebook and Instagram and seeing what people's ads are like and seeing if they get me and can I implement something like that for my client? Does it work? Is there any, but if, is there any emotion in it? Because if, I am an emotional buyer. And if you get me, if you pull that heart, I'm like, yeah, of course I want that. Um, I am a salesman's dream if they do it right. Because I will buy everything. <laughs> My kids love going shopping with me. Um, but I think, yeah, if, you, if they get it right, if they just get you with the emotional, you know, just if so, you go into Lego and you've, you've, you're looking at something for your child. And then the next thing that pops up is actually you know, if they've done the if they've done the research on getting their audiences right, they know you've got a child, say, age ten, and the next video you see is of a dad and son building something together. It's like, and they've you know they they've found out that they've through Facebook that you have a son, he's age ten, he's into Lego and this that, and the other. He likes football, and next thing you know, they're building um, I don't know Sabu- Lego Sabutio together. It's just like, yeah, you've done that really well. You've done your homework. Yep, exactly, and that's. That's what we expect from companies today, I think. Yeah. Um, particularly certain brands, right? So like a Nike or an Apple or a, you know, or an, or a Lego, like we expect that level of, of sort of engagement and, and sort of love 
of the love of what they do, right? So yeah. th- that's what a heart brand is in my mind. Like what they went from is being a heart brand to being a sales brand or, or being a just a purchase, like a commodity. And I think that's where brands are losing. They're, they're, they're forgetting the fundamentals of the reason why people purchase them in the first place. Um, and I think that's where they need to, to get better. So what are you curious about right now in the space? Yeah, what am I curious about? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious in where we're going at the end of social here because I, and I don't want to say the end of social because I don't think it'll ever, it's not going to die. It's evolving. But I think what we're seeing is that there's uh, organic social has is, is been troubled for many, many years, particularly on Facebook. And I think what we're experiencing is, is where, where is the next level? Where is it going? And I think a lot of people have been talking about instant messaging or direct messaging, um, chat. Those are the places where a lot of brands are, are starting to move and play with. And I think that's interesting for us um, in a sense of, okay, what does that mean then for the content? What does that mean for the interaction? What does that mean for the community? Like when you're now, now, when you're now creating content that creates individual conversations that builds individual communities, what does that mean for cash? Right? Like, yeah, you know, so, you know, in my typical model and my typical model might change. Right. So I think, I think that's really what I'm curious about. I'm playing a lot with it and I'm playing a lot with, um, using AI tools okay. to scale content. For example, we were talking today about there's an, an issue with a lot of um, retailers that when you go to their online store and you want to look at specifically in clothing, right? You want to mm-hmm. look at how something looks on people, but there's so many permutations of what people look like yep. that it's hard to get a sense of, well, how will this actually look like on me? Right. So it might be it might be um, disrupting the sales process. Right. And they've been talking about trying stuff on through AR for years. But but maybe there's a a one step in between, which is just like having that image of the clothing on different bodies um, and have that clothing interact with it. And we were just thinking about how could we scale that for companies? How could we have some sort of 3D model of the clothing? And then being able to pull it into an algorithm and then puts it into different permutations of body shapes and then just basically rendering that out really quickly so yeah. that we get like a hundred retail images of different body sizes, different colors of skin, different types, shapes of things so that retailers can basically give that option as also like, hey, you opened a profile with us at like, you know, Zalando or something. And we know that this is your body type and skin color. Here's your personalized sort of look at what this thing will look like on you. Wow. Um, so we were just talking about that, like using AI tools. Also, for example, we do a lot of video production and there's a lot of tools out nowadays that are for saying like, how do we internationalize something? For example, like different subtitles for different countries, um, different uh, people involved, like say we wanted to produce this advertisement or this piece of content for China but, you know, a lot of the footage that we shot is of, you know, <laughs> white dudes like me. Um, you know, that's not really going to fly. How do we use AI tools to build that content faster and scale it out to 30 different markets versus just the white guy market like me? Right. So we're also working on that. So that's key, that's making me a little curious in terms of 
where's the next step? How can technology evolve um, social media and content production at the agency level? So that goes on to my next question. And what are you consuming right now? Is it content around that or is it what are you consuming for Chris? Yeah, I'm not consuming anything at the moment. That's what's really weird is that I'm sort of braining a bit um, and consuming. I would say, oh, I'm spending quite a bit of time on TikTok these days, lurking, watching and seeing what are people actually doing with this? Because there's two lights. Like I'm looking at future five years, 10 years down the road with these AI tools. But then what's here and now and what here what's here and now is that we have a lot of clients looking at TikTok, um, seeing is this something we can jump into and could it add an extra layer to our brand that we've been having trouble with because we haven't been able to be loose enough or exciting enough or entertaining enough because TikTok for TikTok represents for me more than anything is a and for brands is a excuse, a get out of jail free card. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Go on, go. Being that, being that it's like, it's so much fun and there's, it's not serious at all. Yeah. That brands that would never think about doing this can say, yeah, but it's TikTok. Like it's supposed <laughs> to be this way. You've got an excuse. <laughs> You've got an excuse. Like, so, you know, those brands that wouldn't, wouldn't normally do it. They're all going, hmm, actually, this looks like something interesting because we got to get a GL free card. We can be like, you know what? But that's TikTok. Like, of course, we can use a Whitney Houston song. Of course, we can, you know, do this funny dance. Of course, we can show the lighter side of our brand. It's TikTok. Snapchat didn't have that. Snapchat no. was because Snapchat came from this dick pic sending nudes place. It was so hard for brands to adopt it quickly because they were all trepidatious about that image that Snapchat had of 100%. college kids sending themselves nude. TikTok hasn't had this. The only trepidation with TikTok is that it's Chinese owned. You know what? It's really interesting that you, you say that about uh, Snapchat because although we met on Snapchat, I was really cautious about how to use Snapchat based on exactly what you just said because my brand is called Big Daddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I was wondering if people would notice that in my calendar today. I'm like, oh, God. What, what do they think I'm into here? They're going to be like, hey, Chris, we, we is, Chris is... Well, I've actually been invited to speak at a at a porn conference here in, in June. So uh, I'm actually going. They signed me up. So next time you'll see me... No, I'm, I'm, in, I'm actually in the UK in May, uh, yeah. in Lithuania, and I'm also going to Germany to speak. And then I'm uh, in June, I'm on my way to... Uh, so it's called affiliate affiliate uh, networking or affiliate marketers conference, but like a third of that is is the porn industry. Thank you. Thanks for the link, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll send you a link. It's it's gonna be exciting. You can come with me. It's in it's in Romania. Oh dear. But in all seriousness, we you know people say to me, oh Big Daddy, what's that all about? And it and in all honesty, we we actually. Um, I don't know if I should, should say this on the podcast, but a guy messaged us on Twitter about five, six years ago, and uh, he's a gay fella, runs a very successful business, and said, so, Big Daddy, am I missing something? And I was like, no, okay, let me... And that's why we started to put a lot of content about the ethos of Big Daddy and what it means and where the brand came from. And actually, um, the the whole message and ethos around Big Daddy was actually the story came where I was at Radio Norwich and it felt like something fell out of the sky and dropped in the back of my car. And then I 
turn, I literally felt a thud. I turned around, there was nothing there. I drive around the city for the next two or three hours trying to work out where this the, the phrase Big Daddy PR, as it was, um, came from. And then when I drove home at five, six o'clock that night, it was actually the whole the whole thoughts and feelings that I'd had was based around how I would look after customers and deal with clients. And it was actually the relationship that I had with my dad. So the whole ethos around Big Daddy was the relationship I had with my dad. And then hey, when I, I explained that, no, and this is the thing on which, and I've got so much content about that and I've shared it, but people still say, so is there anything a little bit inappropriate? I'm like, no, it's genuinely not. It's just the, the idea behind us as a brand is we come in, we put our arm around you and we take the pain away because that's what my dad did yeah. with me. Yep. And when I, I say it. that, people go, oh, that you get that sense of feeling. The sh- you see their shoulders sink. You see them relax a little bit more. And no, we we just parent you <laughs> because yeah. you got, you brought us in to fix your problem. And right. that's, that's what my dad, that. my dad was doing with me every day. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's a, it's a lovely story. And I think that's the way um, I think that you need those things, right? Like. People yeah. need those mythologies. They need those stories. They need those reasons to to believe. And I think that's a really good good way of branding yourself. So kudos. I think it, it's really nice. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Mate, yeah. it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Can you let everyone know where they can find you and where they can connect with you, please? They can connect with me at the porn conference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> find me i'm out there no i think yeah if they can find me on social media i I am mostly around there most of the time so uh i'm on instagram at chris cubby c-h-r-i-s-k-u-b-b-y i'm on youtube same thing youtube slash chris cubby twitter chris cubby like just if you search chris cubby k-u-b-b-y you will find me i am out there um and just connect with me and say hello i would love to know if you heard this podcast uh, say just drop me a dm say hey i heard you on uh, big daddy's uh, pr um podcast um steve with is it's it's t with steve t with Sorry, steve. i should get the name right i heard you on t with steve um loved what you said about x y and z or i hated what you said about x y and z <laughs> uh i'm not afraid of hate i'm used to that online uh so so send me a send me a dm and i'll i'll converse with you and we'll uh, we'll chat brilliant chris it's been an absolute pleasure and um good luck for 2020 and um keep just keep doing what you're doing because i'm really enjoying it thanks dude i'll try i'm gonna get my act together i mean it's been a struggle this year last year too it's just you know you know it's like running a business um it's not that it's an excuse but yeah any business owners out there you know how hard it is to create your own content and keep things going this uh last two years has been ultra challenging it will continue to be challenging for me i think <laughs> so let's see mate thanks ever so much thank you so much Jay. take care wow there is so much in that episode of the podcast to take away my friend so go press the repeat button on your drive home and take in as much content as you can there are some great key takeaways in there and the one that resonates with me more than anything is connecting on that emotional level stop making things this buying journey this sales thing connect with people on an emotional level because like chris said 
We're not rational purchasers. We are irrational buyers. So guys, let's hit people on an emotional level. Let's do it with authenticity and compassion and humility. And let's make the whole experience for the person buying your product or your service one that they're going to love from day one. It's called Heartbrand. So my friends, remember to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me in your Instagram stories and your tweets at Mr. Steve Thompson. And don't forget to use the hashtag Tea with Steve. Also, let me know where you're tuning in from. We want to know how far across this planet we are impacting a billion lives. And let me know how this episode has had an impact on you. If you haven't already, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave me a rating and review on iTunes because it really does help us to reach more people so we can help them build their heart brand and build the business of them. Enjoy the rest of your week. It is full of opportunities. Remember, be authentic, have an impact and continue to grow. Take care, my friends. I'll see you on the next episode.